people like Brad Friedman at Bradblog have been telling us that for, what, over 15 years now? Oh, thank you. Thanks for noticing, Farron. Farron Cousin from Ring of Fire. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Not for 15 and years. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Or more. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on some very fine internet affiliates, including the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the award-wanting Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Glad to have Desi Doyen here as well. Hi, Des. Yes, hello. The award-wanting, my favorite descriptor. Uh, I have got a guest uh, that I am very much looking forward to speaking to for the first time on this uh, show. He is known to many as Doc Dog from Daily Coast. He's known in real life as Dr. William Busa. He will be joining us uh, shortly. He's a longtime, uh, he's a technical and data guy and a campaign consultant and activist in North Carolina, since this is apparently North Carolina GOP Corruption Week on the broadcast. But, you know, really... What week isn't at this point? <laughs> GOP uh, corruption week is really very much every week. Yeah, so. uh, it's it's either Georgia GOP corruption week or Florida GOP corruption week. Anyway, Bill Busa has been uh, following up on the disclosures made by a cybersecurity expert that I interviewed on Monday's uh, program, Chris Vickery, who found a treasure trove of documents just sitting there for the taking, including master passwords for state voting systems at the North Carolina State Board of Elections website. Uh, A disturbing revelation and a disturbing interview, to say the least, with researcher Chris Vickery on Monday. Bill Busa actually received a response to all of this from a state board of elections official and suffice to say... It doesn't make uh, him or me feel much better about all of this. That and much more on corrupt GOP North Carolina politics coming up momentarily with Doc Dog. 
Bill Busa. But before we get to him in a very fast constitutional crisis and impeachment update today, the U.S. House Oversight Committee this afternoon voted to hold Trump's attorney general, Bill Barr, in contempt. That is the second such uh, contempt vote by a House committee against Barr. Judiciary did so recently for uh, after Barr's refusal to turn over the subpoenaed, unredacted Mueller report and its underlying documents and evidence, though on uh, Tuesday, just before a full House vote on contempt against Barr, the attorney general agreed that the DOJ would begin supplying some documents to the committee. The uh, full House, however, did vote to allow Nadler, the uh, the uh, chair of the Judiciary Committee, to go to court regarding Barr's refusal to comply with subpoenas on the Mueller report if necessary. So clearly Barr does not want to face contempt charges in an actual court of law. But now he's facing a second committee holding him in contempt. This in the Oversight Committee today and along with him, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross concerning apparent lies and the withholding of subpoena documents uh, about the uh, scam claim that Ross sought to add a question about citizenship to the 2020 census because the DOJ had asked him to so that they could somehow better enforce the Voting Rights Act, which is preposterous and a lie. And that's why they are withholding documents that show that was a lie. That is why the White House today tried to um, uh, invoke executive privilege to keep the DOJ from having to turn over those documents. Uh, That this is really about, in fact, shifting the electorate towards white Republicans by adding a citizenship question to the census. That's the facts of this, as we now know for certain, because we have seen the documents on the hard drive of the GOP gerrymandering expert who died last year, which say as much just directly. So it will be very interesting to see uh, to find out what the U.S. Supreme Court decides on this matter of that citizenship question on the census. They'll be coming out with their ruling any day now. And it didn't look good during oral arguments a few uh, months back. Don't know if any of this latest news is going to change anything, but I hope the uh, Supreme Court is paying attention. Also in Constitutional Crisis Update News, Hope Hicks, the former communications director and longtime Donald Trump staffer who was there before he ran for president, during his presidential run, once he got during the transition, once he got into the White House, She had cooperated with Special Counsel Robert Mueller. She was subpoenaed to testify by the Judiciary Committee. And just moments before air here today, she has agreed to testify Wednesday. How do you feel about that, Desi Doyen? Well, it looks like uh, the Congress is able to get at least some of the White House people to react and to follow through on their obligations to actually reply to subpoenas. Maybe. We'll see. Um, We'll see if the White House uh, blocks her between now and Wednesday. Uh, I, I quipped a few weeks ago that this would be huge if she testifies in public. But uh, uh, before anyone gets too excited, the testimony that she has agreed to will be behind closed doors, Hmm. which probably makes you happy, Des, so you don't have to uh, record all of that. (laughs) But it makes the uh, value of the information, well, perhaps somewhat less amongst uh, an electorate who really needs to be informed about what's going on here. 
We'll try to uh, help inform you in those regards uh, more in the days ahead. But speaking of election-related issues, there's a couple of points that I want to hit here very quickly today. Quinnipiac is out now with a new 2020 head-to-head poll in uh, their national Quinnipiac poll just out in a first look at presidential matchups nationwide. Pretty much all of the currently top Democratic challengers lead Donald Trump. Uh, Former Vice President Joe Biden is ahead of Trump by 13 points, 53 to 40, according to this national poll released on Tuesday. Also, in other matchups, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders beats Trump 51 to 42 nationally. That's a nine point lead. California Senator Kamala Harris uh, is ahead of Trump by eight points nationally. Elizabeth Warren is up by seven points over Trump nationally. South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg edges Trump 47 to 42 by five points. He beats Trump and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker also beats Trump by five points nationally. The uh, uh, Quinnipiac says the head to head matchups give this heads up to President Donald Trump's team. Former Vice President Joe Biden and other Democratic contenders would beat the president if the election were held today. So says Quinnipiac. They also note it's a long 17 months to Election Day, but Joe Biden is ahead, at least, by landslide proportions. And uh, the other these other five candidates are also up by pretty impressive numbers. They note that said the Trump bump to 42 percent job approval rating is nothing to sniff at. It's one point shy of the best numbers that he's ever had under the Quinnipiac University survey. Well, I will sniff at it. Uh, because uh, not since about an hour after his inauguration day has this president ever had a positive approval rating. He remains underwater nationally by 11 points overall. So even at his near best, he's still about 11 points underwater. Uh, The reason I bring all of this up is really not to tell you where things stand for an election that is still 17 months away, but to point out a couple of things. One, if you were considering voting for Joe Biden because you thought he was the most electable, the person who would have the easiest time beating Donald Trump, well, at this point, damn near anyone could beat this clown, at least in theory, on a level playing field, which we all know we do not necessarily have in this country. But six candidates uh, all beat Donald Trump nationally pretty decisively in this national poll. Uh, It should also tell you, you don't have to necessarily vote for the white guy in order to beat Donald Trump, as some have contended. Vote who you believe in, whoever that may be in the primaries. Later, we can all vote for the guy or the girl who will beat Donald Trump in 2020 Uh, at least if he is still in office by then. The most important point I want to make here is not only is this really early, these polls, but as, as you hear many polls like this over the next year, please remember that this is a national poll. Uh, Similar national polls also showed Hillary Clinton defeating Donald Trump by similar numbers at various times 
all the way up through Election Day. So therefore, despite the fact that I just told you about them, ignore them all. That's the best advice I can give you. National polls ultimately are meaningless. It's a state-by-state thing. Uh, As to the Democratic primary, uh, uh, Joe Biden remains atop the list at this hour, according to the Economist YouGov poll that is just out. But he has lost a bit of ground in both that uh, Economist YouGov poll and in the Quinnipiac poll. As a matter of fact, in Quinnipiac, He leads, but he has faded by eight points since the beginning of last month, right after he announced his candidacy. On the other hand, in that Quinnipiac poll, Sanders uh, comes in next with 19 percent. That's compared to 16 last month, so he moved up a little bit there. Warren, Elizabeth Warren, has also moved up by a couple of points. She's in second place with 15 percent. Buttigieg has 8 percent. He's moved up a bit. Harris has uh, actually lost a point coming in fourth in that uh, fifth right now in that uh, Quinnipiac poll. And Beto O'Rourke is at three percent. He gained one point since last month. Uh, The biggest winner in the Economist YouGov poll, however, was Elizabeth Warren, who gained five points since last week in the YouGov poll. Everyone everyone else polled actually lost a few points. Biden is still on top with 26 percent. Warren now comes in second over Bernie Sanders with 16 points. Sanders has lost four points now at uh, in third place with 12, followed by Buttigieg and Harris and O'Rourke. And no one else uh, got more than one percent. It was also election night, by the way, on Tuesday in parts of Virginia, And uh, there were some notable results. Uh, According to the reported results, Northern Virginia voters delivered a forceful statement for sweeping criminal justice reform on Tuesday, choosing progressive challengers over longtime incumbents in two hotly contested Democratic primaries for prosecutor in Arlington and Fairfax counties. The two, Parisi Degani Tafti in Arlington and Steve Descano in Fairfax, were among a wave of progressive liberal candidates who have promised to use local prosecutor posts to remake criminal justice policy on issues including racial disparities and sentencing, marijuana prosecutions, and the death penalty. The shift, according to the Washington Post, whose local beat includes Virginia, They say this marks a stunning change. The pair bested incumbents with more than 60 years of experience between them. Quentin Kidd, the director of the Wasson Center for Public Policy, said this race and other results tonight says to me that there is real energy on the progressive side of the Democratic coalition. It also says something about a real desire for a different approach to criminal justice. The primary winners are now likely to become the next Commonwealth attorneys there because no Republican challenger has emerged for November's general election in either of those jurisdictions. Both challengers advocated for ending cash bail, stopping prosecutions for possession of marijuana and dropping use of the death penalty in capital cases. Both also attacked the incumbent prosecutors for opposing a 2016 move by then-Governor Terry McAuliffe to restore voting rights to more than 200,000 Virginia felons. 
McAuliffe, who endorsed both winners, said, I think the outcome is going to encourage a lot more progressive folks to get in races in Virginia, adding these were two stunning victories tonight. So stunning victories for progressives and progressive reform. That that would be, you know, that would be a wonderful thing to have progressive reform in criminal sentencing. Well, it may be coming to Virginia. And with elections on my mind today for a change, uh, as always, <laughs> the disturbing revelations revealed on air for the first time earlier this week on the broadcast regarding master password files for voting machines sitting out there in the open for download by anyone at the no- at the North Carolina Board of Elections website. That's next with North Carolina's own Doc Dog at Daily Coast. Bill Busa joins me next on the broadcast to discuss that and much more. Out of North Carolina, I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Clearly, we are running out of North Carolina songs as apparently North Carolina Election Disasters Week continues here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have been covering some of the extraordinary GOP corruption in that state, particularly regarding electoral politics. And as my chilling interview with cybersecurity risk researcher Chris Vickery revealed on Monday... In an interview, by the way, that once again, I'm going to recommend you download and listen to via bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site if you missed it. Uh, Vickery details his discovery last year of a whole cache of sensitive files and screenshots and databases found completely unprotected online, on the Internet, available to download by anyone at the North Carolina State Board of Elections website, including what he describes as master passwords for some of the state's ESNS touchscreen voting systems and optical scan computer tabulators. Vickery told me that the files uh, he was able to determine had been there since at least February of 2016 in advance of that year's presidential election in the state, which has been very much of a swing state in presidential elections over the past several cycles. Barack Obama barely won North Carolina back in 2008. Mitt Romney barely won it back for Republicans in 2012. And in 2016, reportedly, Donald Trump edged out Hillary Clinton there. Though curious and still unexplained failures in the state's computerized voter registration system and electronic poll books on Election Day in 2016 led many voters to be told at the polls on Election Day that they had already voted or they weren't otherwise on the rolls. Last week, some two and a half years after the presidential election, the Department of Homeland Security finally announced that they would be working with the state on a forensic analysis of some of the laptop computers used for voter registration back in 2016, at least in part of the state. That 
Following on Special Counsel Robert Mueller's report confirming that a private voter registration vendor named VR Systems was, in fact, the victim of a spear phishing attack by Russian military intelligence in 2016 that allowed access to several counties in the state of Florida to their voter registration systems. As VR Systems also manages voter registration and electronic poll books in North Carolina and other states, and as nobody has still been able to explain what actually went wrong with those systems in North Carolina on Election Day in 2016, there now may finally be a probe to look into that matter. But it underscores what we have been trying to explain here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com damn near every day since the 2016 election. Nobody, not Robert Mueller, not the FBI, not the DHS, or even the states themselves have ever carried out a proper forensic investigation of the actual voting systems in states like North Carolina and Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania following the stunning twist ending of the razor-thin 2016 presidential election. In the redacted version of Robert Mueller's special counsel report, he concedes that his office did not look at the machines, the servers, citing his assertion that DHS was looking into it. But as we have been trying to help you notice for the past two and a half years, as made clear during this Senate questioning uh, from Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon to the top cybersecurity infrastructure official at DHS, a woman by the name of Jeanette Manfra, DHS also never looked at the voting systems after 2016, despite the claims by the intelligence community that Russia was working so hard to penetrate so many U.S. election systems. Has the department conducted any kind of post-election forensics on the voting machines that were used in 2016? We have not, our department has not conducted forensics on specific voting machines. No, it was not done by her department or, as we have since learned, anybody's department. So with all of that in mind and the idea that the state of North Carolina had its master passwords posted online for download by anybody before the 2016 election and maybe even years before that, that all seems somewhat alarming, uh, at least to me. Uh, I believe it was also somewhat alarming to Dr. William Busa, a campaign consultant and activist in North Carolina, better known to Daily Coast readers as Doc Dog. Bill Busa has been following up on the disturbing disclosures by cyber uh, cybersecurity researcher Chris Vickery this week, as I have, though he had some better luck than I did in hearing back with comment from State Board of Elections officials. Joining us now is Dr. Bill Busa, or Doc Dog to the Delhi Cossacks. What's up, Doc? Thanks for joining us on the broadcast. Thanks, Brad. It's great to be here. And thank you for your excellent follow-up on the Chris Vickery uh, revelations this week. Uh, Bill, I tried to get comment from one of the North Carolina State Board of Elections election technician folks whose uh, email was included in the same directory available online as the screenshot of these uh, master passwords that were cited by Chris Vickery. Uh, this person was named Brooks E. Garrett Jones. Uh, he or she identifies himself as an election technician with the North Carolina State Board of Elections and wrote in an email found in that same directory online by Vickery, quote, the attached screenshots 
should show just about all of the settings you will need for contests and candidates in the iVotronic Image Manager, which uh, that's the voting system that essentially defines where the candidates are on the ballot when voters select them while voting on touchscreen uh, systems or optical scan uh, tabulators. Now, I reached out uh, for comment to Brooks E. Garrett-Jones. I didn't hear back, but you were able to get comment from uh, someone at the uh, SBE, according to your article at Daily Coast yesterday, headlined, Voting Machine Password Leak in North Carolina Grows Murkier the More We Learn. You heard back from the board's public information officer, Pat Gannon, uh, and I want to sort of hit on um, Gannon's responses one at a time, but he or she, I'm not sure if it's a he or she, um, seemed to basically be telling you there was... Nothing to worry about. These are old files. Nobody could have used them to do any harm, etc. That's a, a fair summary of the email. Yeah, let me first say that I've had relationship with administrators at the North Carolina State Board of Elections for years mm-hmm. in my voting rights activities. I have a generally very good relationship with them. So I was not surprised to uh, receive an email from Pat Gannon after he twigged to the Twitter discussions going on about Chris Vickery's discoveries and mm-hmm. um, apparently saw my uh, article in, in Daily Coast as well. Uh, the email arrived out of the blue, and it, just, it's, it sounds like the draft of a press release. Uh, that's, that's conjecture. And by the way, Pat is, is a man. Is he? All uh, right. And he actually other. reached out. You didn't uh, reach out to him for comment. He just saw that you were involved and said, hey, by the way, here's, what, here's our take on it. It was more, hey, by the way, I'm going to scold you for getting involved in this. Okay. So Bill, Bill, please see statement below about the, le- quote, leaked voting machine passwords that you continue to share without any contact with us. Uh-huh, I see. <laughs> All right, well, well let's, let's run through, because there were sort of three points that he, Pat Gannon, uh, made to you and, and to get your response. Uh, so he says... And and the sense I got was he was kind of saying nothing to worry about here. So he starts by saying the information in question includes encrypted iVotronic password data from Guilford County for the 2010 election. The iVotronics, again, are the uh, electronic voting systems used across much of the state there. Now, uh, you spoke to Chris Vickery as well, I think, after my conversation with him on Monday, where he was able to respond to uh, these comments from the board. Yes, when I when I posted a summary of uh, of the state board's email to me on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, Vickery responded to it quite rapidly, and um, you know the the, it, the letter from Pat Gannon had some interesting information. Some of the first times, or well, the first time we've heard a lot about a lot of things, claimed that uh, the passwords were only for Guilford County, North Carolina, mm-hmm. iVotronics, not for the whole state. There are 24 counties out of 100 in North Carolina that use the iVotronic. Mm-hmm. Um, he claimed that uh, that file that, that uh, Vickery found was incorrectly posted onto the, the web uh, in 1912, and he claimed <laughs> that the password data was encrypted. Um, now, he didn't say 1912. I'm sorry, say again? You said it was posted in 1912. That's right, yes. It was accidentally posted in 1912 that those passwords related only to the 1910 election. Uh, 1912. <laughs> so you see my confusion. Okay, 2012. All right. Give me clues here. Give me clues. Here. Okay, 2012. Uh, okay. And they, they only applied to the 2010 election. All right. Okay. 
those are those are claims we can now start to look at, and that's that's what I discussed in the the most recent article I published at Daily Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vickery assured me that no, those passwords weren't encrypted. Now, there's two possibilities: either the file that that Vickery found was encrypted, the entire file, or the file was not encrypted, was in what we call plain text, mm-hmm. but the passwords themselves listed in the file were encrypted. The first possibility that the whole file was encrypted, we can reject immediately because you know, Vickery posted screenshots of, of that file, and mm-hmm. we can read it. It's in English except for the parts that he has redacted. Mm-hmm. The parts he has redacted are the passwords themselves, and that's very good practice in the cybersecurity analyst business. You don't give away people's, people's passwords when you're trying to solve a problem about right. passwords leaking, right? Mm-hmm. But... Uh, when they're redacted, you know, they're redacted by little black boxes, and there's only so many characters that can fit under those little black boxes. It's about 12 characters, I figure, can fit under those, those boxes. Right. Well, and Vickery also mentioned to me that the, the black boxes are, are larger, the redaction boxes are longer than the passwords were. He did that on purpose to prevent bad guys from guessing how long the passwords are. So he really did everything right. Well, what that means is, if we're only looking at eight or ten characters, I, I won't bedevil you with the technical details. Thank but you. Yeah, <laughs> when you take an eight or ten character long password or any other piece of text and encrypt it using any of the any of the standard encryption methods today mm-hmm. that are actually secure, what you're going to get is a very long string of characters. It's going to be somewhere between 32, 64, 128 characters long impossibly long to be inside those redactions. So mm-hmm. uh, I accept automatically uh, what Vickery has said, that those were short passwords, and no, they weren't encrypted. They couldn't have been encrypted if he was using any modern, or if the State Board of Elections was using any modern encryption technology, mm-hmm. which I would hope they would be. So, so let me just review that. So what you're saying is the, pass- the uh, file itself was clearly not encrypted because we're able to see it in plain English, this list of passwords, the override password, the election central menu password, clear and test password, lock, unlock password, etc. Uh, we, we see those described, and then after each one of them where the password would actually be, that's what's redacted, that's what uh, Chris Vickery blacked out, and you say that those redactions are not long enough to actually be covering up an encrypted version of the password, which would be many, many more characters long. That's exactly correct, yes. Okay. And so that data, I mean, and I have no reason to disbelieve Chris Vickery on this, uh, that data was not encrypted. Clearly, these passwords were available and then you go on to say that Pat Gannon also told you that, oh, these were old passwords, nothing to worry about. Well, uh, and, and not used anywhere but in that one county of Guilford. Uh, the um, vi- uh, Vickery seems to say that's not true, that he found evidence. He didn't post all of the files, but that he found evidence that these same passwords were used in other counties on other systems. Yeah, I have not seen that evidence myself, so I, I can't speak to it. But mm-hmm. I think the, the other claim that I can speak to, to some extent, mm-hmm. is the fact that uh, in Gannon's email, he said that uh, the file with the passwords in it was posted onto the web accidentally in 2012. Well, Vickery assures me, and I believe him because it's a very simple thing to determine, that the, the creation date of the zip file that mm-hmm. that password was in is 2016. So... Uh, 
it may seem like a fine point, whether it was posted in 2012 or 2016. If they're 2010 passwords, then who cares, I think, since they expired at the end of the year, according to uh, the state board. Mm-hmm. But both of these issues, being told that they were encrypted when clearly they're not encrypted, being told they were posted in 2012 when pretty clearly they were posted in 2016, goes to the question of are we being told what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you charge in your piece at Daily Coast, you say, long story short, it seems likely that the um, state board spokesperson, Gannon, either misunderstood or was misinformed by his in-house IT staff, uh, IT source, regarding the password's encryption. Um, now, I don't know Pat Gannon. You've been working out there for a while. The Board of Elections has gone through many gyrations in that state in uh, in recent years. So I don't know if you know Pat uh, in this case. But, do. do okay, do we have any reason to believe he would... Um, not tell the truth about this information, or uh, do you believe that, yes, this is, in fact, what he was told from someone, someone on the uh, IT staff uh, at the board? Uh, so all I know is that, that he says that he was told that by the IT staff at mm-hmm. the Board of Elections. I have no reason to believe that he would falsify any information, but he is a public information officer, and public information officers get paid to, at the end of the day, put their organizations in the best possible light. So who knows? So, yeah, we so we can't tell if he just personally misunderstands because that seemed to be the issue that uh, Pat uh, that uh, Chris Vickery responded with by saying, "I don't think Pat Gannon understands these issues," uh, which giving him the benefit of the doubt, you know, he was told by the IT staff, oh, no, don't worry about it. These are old files. They were encrypted. And he passed that on to you. Have you heard back from Pat Gannon since you posted your follow-up at Daily Coast on Tuesday that this situation grows murkier the more we learn? Before I posted that uh, follow-up on Daily Coast, I had requested a conversation with him offline um, in order to follow up on questions like that. He has not responded to that. Uh, I have not heard from him since then and really don't expect to ever hear from him again, perhaps. Well, I, I, well, I would think that he would want to hear from you, and I, I of course, welcome him on, on this program to, uh, to answer these concerns because I'm not charging anything. Chris Vickery wasn't charging anything. We're all just trying to figure out what to make of this. If this was an accident, it was something very similar to what we saw in Georgia Bill Busa, and I don't know if you remember that story uh, prior to the 2016 election where they also had files that were found with voting system passwords just sitting there for uh, to be downloaded by anyone. A cybersecurity researcher was able to find those files. And in that case, they did not remove them after Georgia did not remove them after they were uh, informed, at least when Vickery told the state officials about this in 2018. Uh, reportedly, they set this directory to private. But you're a, you're a data guy, uh, uh, Bill. These uh, Vickery says that the file directories where either hundreds of, or thousands of these files were found uh, were set to be available to everyone, that these uh, Amazon cloud directories that they use in North Carolina are not set by default to be open to everyone. Um Were you able to get any explanation or did Pat offer any explanation about why those settings were set specifically to be available to all? No, we don't have any information on that. What I can say is that 
it's an easy one-click mistake mm-hmm. in the uh, interface to Amazon Web Services to accidentally uh, set the permission to everybody instead of you know limited permissions. So, um, you know, never attribute to malice what can be explained by mm-hmm. by simple incompetence. I I would have to assume that somebody made a mistake unless I was shown information leading to another conclusion. Now, with all of this, uh, you come back to what you describe in your article as the bigger question, and I agree. It's one of the things that I've been trying to help folks notice for the past two years or more. Despite all of the allegations about uh, Russia supposedly trying to interfere in our elections, trying to access voting and registration systems in as many as 21 states, etc., the Obama administration declaring computer election systems to be part of our critical infrastructure as federally designated so the DHS would uh, give it special a- attention and resources. Despite all of that, Bill, nobody at DHS seemed to investigate any of these systems, whether in the uh, uh, crucial 2016 states of, of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, or the perpetual swing state of North Carolina, where only now, Two and a half years after the 2016 elections, DHS is finally working with the state to examine the 2016 voter registration computers, or at least uh, at least some some of them. I, I I am troubled by this. I'm troubled by the fact that a cybersecurity researcher was able to find this stuff, but DHS wasn't. You write about that as well. Should we be disturbed by that? I think that's really the most troubling part of this. I, I think that. The leak of the passwords, uh, obviously, that's that's troubling. That that indicates a, a lax cybersecurity um, environment at uh, at the state board. But in point of fact, you couldn't just use those passwords over the internet to get onto those machines. A, they're not internet connected. B, it takes a special card key to get to the menus in order to use those passwords. So that doesn't trouble me nearly as much as the fact that here were unencrypted password files pretty sensitive material, sitting on the open web for a couple of years, we don't mm-hmm. know how many years, um, while DHS was conducting its cybersecurity assessments that it provides to North Carolina and mm-hmm. other state boards of elections. And DHS never managed to find that, whereas you know Chris Vickery did. Now, Vickery's good at what he does, but what he did was not rocket science. It's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. kind of analytics. And uh, if DHS didn't find those things, then DHS is not as good as Chris Vickery, and if it's not as good as Chris Vickery at finding the chinks in our armor, then it's certainly not as good as Russia's GRU is. Yeah, and, you know, this is one of the things that sort of drives me crazy about this entire business. I've been covering these systems, as I think you know, for many, many years now, over 15 years. None of this requires a nation-state to pull off, and you mentioned that these uh, particular passwords uh, could not be used for uh, hacking online. That may or may not be true, but we don't know what else is actually uh, available within those files. And that's true. It also also means that local folks could get to this. I've been trying to point out it doesn't need to be a nation state to uh, hack an election. Local election workers, poll workers could get access to these uh, passwords that they should not necessarily have and do all kinds of damage as well. I, I you know, I, I keep telling people, don't count on DHS to save you here. That's uh, exactly right. We need to be able to oversee our own elections and our own polls and be poll watchers and poll workers, etc. 
because I think this, if nothing else, this instance uh, shows that DHS, you know, for those people who think, oh, DHS is taking care of this in all 50 states, they ain't. Yeah, with McConnell blocking any meaningful election cybersecurity legislation in the Senate, you know, DHS's kind of Band-Aid approach to, well, we're going to consult with the boards of elections in the 50 states and give them some assistance, it really is just that, a Band-Aid, and it's, um, it, it doesn't give me any confidence whatsoever, especially now with what we've seen from the Vickery information. I agree. All right, folks, you have been warned. Uh, Bill Busa, sit tight for a second. I want to take a quick break here and come back to ask you about a number of other important North Carolina issues, uh, including uh, a Supreme Court ruling that's about to come down, two big U.S. House elections there, and your very interesting and important program. Speaking of uh, doing this ourselves and not counting on anyone else uh, to let folks know when their voter registration has changed in North Carolina and hopefully around the country. All that is next with Bill Busa on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, speaking with Dr. William Busa, better known as Doc Dog at dailycoast.com. He is a North Carolina focused campaign consultant and the founder of EQV Analytics. Um, Bill, there are a couple of other items I want to ask you real, real quickly about since you've been working on North Carolina elections for so long. And since North Carolina is uh, seems <laughs> you and I, we talked about this a little bit on the phone last night uh, that uh, they seem to be in some sort of a contest for the most corrupt state in the southeast at this point with Georgia and Florida. And what did you tell me about the old uh, South Carolina joke? Oh, that uh, North Carolina has become such an embarrassment that South Carolina is considering changing its name to North Georgia. (laughs) So just to give you an idea of how bad it seems to be getting there, um, let me hit real quick a couple of points of note. Uh, We are expecting a ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court any day now regarding just one of many unlawful gerrymandering schemes found by Federal courts in North Carolina, this one, a uh, a ruling to redraw House maps across the state uh, due to unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering. That followed on a racial gerrymandering case in the state, as well as a currently ongoing partisan gerrymandering case over state legislative districts in uh, in state court. We discussed uh, a lot of this in detail on yesterday's broadcast. I won't ask you to make a, a prediction as to whether the uh, Supreme Court will uphold the lower court orders to draw new U.S. House maps in North Carolina before 2020. 
that ruling could come any day. But I'm curious how you see whatever ruling is made uh, regarding those House seats in North Carolina. How's, how might that affect the outlook one way or another uh, in the state for next year's House elections? Well, you know, back in 2010, uh, Democrats forgot to go to the polls for the midterm election. Republicans didn't forget. Mm-hmm. And we ended up with a Republican supermajority controlling the, uh, the state legislature. And they did the, the gerrymandering then because that was a, a census year. They conducted the extreme gerrymandering of the state that you've just outlined. And that's the basis of their power today. I'm certainly not going to predict what the... Supreme Court is going to rule on the case currently before it. I'll just say that I'm I'm not hopeful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and if and, we don't get those gerrymanders yeah. changed, then the problem will be even worse in 2020. I think because really those are those are extremely gerrymandered districts. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, what that does to remove power in an in illegitimate fashion from voters of color, from Democrats expressing their honest uh, beliefs by their votes and being represented by the representatives they choose, we have very little voice in North Carolina today because of those gerrymanders. And I think everyone needs to understand in North Carolina and everywhere else around the country, 2020 is important not just because of the presidential election, but because the state uh, legislatures who are elected in 2020 will be the ones who then draw the map that affect U.S. House elections and state legislative elections for the next 10 years. That's, uh, right. that's why this uh, decision from the Supreme Court is um, uh, is uh, so key and uh, troubling. Uh, all right, a couple of other uh, North Carolina corruption issues. Actually, this one isn't corruption. This is uh, an upcoming uh, election for the U.S. House in the 3rd District of North Carolina to replace the late Congressman Walter Jones, a conservative Republican, the one who voted against his party after uh, courageously admitting that uh, he was wrong in his vote for the Iraq War and even went so far as to write notes to the families of, of the Americans killed in that stupid war, as I understand. Um, there is a uh, still a primary on the GOP side of that NC3 race bill in a very conservative district. Any idea what the outlook is for that contest? Well, it is a very conservative district. It's uh, rated by Cook uh, R plus 12, which means it's 12 points more Republican than the nation as a whole in, in the last election. And Jones served there for 12 terms after following his father serving as a congressman mm. in that same district. So it's been a Republican and all Jones district for a long, long time. Um, in the initial Republican primary, there were 17 Republican entrants in there to replace the, the deceased Jones. Mm-hmm. That's how confident Republicans are that this is a prize that, that ever, any Republican would want to run in that race because yeah. it's a, pretty much a slam dunk, they're assuming. I tend to, to take their judgment uh, at face value for that. You know, and now in the uh, 17-person primary, mm-hmm. uh, no one got over 30%, so it automatically flips over to a runoff primary, which is coming up in a month or two here. Uh, there are two people uh, running in that runoff primary, Dr. Joan Perry, a pediatrician, and Dr. Greg Murphy, a urologist. So it's an all-box, all-the-time <laughs> uh, kind of a primary. They're both severe Trumpists because it's such a uh, conservative district. Mm-hmm. And Joan Perry faces an interesting challenge, which is 
there's no distinguishing characteristic that's different about them, the two candidates, except that one is a man and one is not. And I, I kind of suspect that Republicans, if, if given no other thing to vote on, will vote for a man rather than a woman. So we see Sarah, we see Joan Perry right now kind of doing a, a Sarah Palin thing. She has a new ad out where she extols the fact that on the same day she shot a deer, got her limit of doves, and gave birth to a child, <laughs> which sounds pretty mama bear kind of uh, paleo platform, as I like to call it. Yes, yes. I think the problem she faces is that that plays well in ruggedly individualistic Alaska, right. but I doubt that it plays well in Baptist, North Carolina. And who is the Democrat? Does the Democrat have a chance in that, uh, or I should say, is the Democratic candidate any good in that third district? The Democrat, Alan Thomas, is mm-hmm. a, a popular ex-mayor of, a, of one of the... I won't call it a city, I'll call it a town mm-hmm. in the district. There are no major cities in the entire district. Right. He's, uh, I think, a good candidate, but I think he faces a, a tremendous uphill bow- battle simply because it is such a conservative, Baptist, gotcha. rural, Republican district. Now, uh, the one that I think more folks will be watching is the North Carolina race in the 9th district, this infamous case of uh, NC9 where the Republican candidate last November uh, was busted, having hired a GOP absentee ballot election fraud specialist, essentially, uh, in a race that the State Board of Elections refused to certify. They've now called a new special election for, I think, this September. It will be coming up. The uh, same Democrat who ran in November, Dan McCready, and uh, according to the uh, the results that were never certified, he just barely lost by about 900 votes. Of course, you had potentially hundreds of gamed absentee ballots because of that scandal. Uh, so McCready is running again, but the disgraced Baptist uh, preacher, Mark Harris, the Republican who was caught up in that uh, fraud scandal, he's not running. So what is the outlook for that race still several months before it actually comes up, where Republicans have similarly controlled the district now for many, many years? Uh, is, is, is this one that the Democrats could actually pull off? It is. You know, wow, talk about a soap opera. <laughs> yeah. NCO9 has been a soap opera since, since the middle of last year yeah. when Mark Harris first started Oh, giving campaign speeches about how women should submit themselves to to men and things of that nature. It's just gone downhill from there. <laughs> now in the do-over, McCready is running against uh, a state senator, a Republican state senator, Dan Bishop, who was the sponsor of North Carolina's notorious bathroom bill that, that denied the right of transgender mm-hmm. folks to use the bathroom of their gender identity. Mm-hmm. That plays well with the uh, base right wing. That doesn't play well with sensible people of good character. So uh, I think that, as you pointed out, McCready lost the original election to Harris, to Harris mm-hmm. uh, by 905 votes. Right. There's every reason to suspect that there were probably on the order of 500 to 1,000 uh, jiggered votes mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the election fraud scheme that, that Harris perpetrated. So either if there hadn't been election fraud, either Harris, uh, either McCready would have lost by a few votes or won by a few votes, which means that obviously this would be a close election no matter who he was running against. Running against Dan Bishop, who is a uh, an extreme Trumpist and has a very bad reputation because of his sponsorship of HB two, the mm-hmm. bathroom bill, 
which lost the state over $3 billion, basketball playoffs, and all kinds of opportunities yeah. before it was uh, withdrawn. I, I think that, uh, Forrest, uh, that, that Bishop is vulnerable, and I think McCready can beat him. And if he does, I mean, obviously that's, that's terribly important. We flip another seat in the, uh, in the House. And we will be watching that continuing soap opera very closely. Finally, Bill Busa, this is something that I actually want to have you to come back uh, talk about again in more detail, because I think this is really important, but I want to just sort of get it out there for now. You're also the founder of ncgovote.org, and it's uh, Reg watch system, which you developed, I think, last year. I was very interested in it when I saw it come about last year, but I didn't get to talk to you about it at the time. Can you explain what it is very quickly, and is this something that could be adopted nationally? Sure. So, uh, RegWatch is a, a really simple system to understand. You're, you're familiar with um, credit report monitoring services. You mm-hmm. sign up with it, and you get an email from them if anything changes on your credit report, mm-hmm. right? This is the same approach for your voter registration. You sign up with, with at ncgovote.org for your North Carolina voter registration. And if your voter registration changes, we monitor it every week. If it changes in any way, you get an email from us saying, hey, your voter registration just changed. And what that does is it protects you not only from hackers who mm-hmm. might get into the system and delete your record or change your voter, your party affiliation or whatever, but... North Carolina has systematic problems with folks who go in to update their registrations with their new address or their new name. If a, if a woman gets married and adopts her husband's name, they go into the DMV, they fill out the voter registration change form, they hand it in, and it never, ever shows up in the voter registration files. That, that happens too often. The DMV is, is mm-hmm. pretty incompetent about processing those things. There have been several court cases about that. Uh, RegWatch will cover that as well. If you tell us, hey, I submitted a voter registration update, where our computers are checking your record every week, and if that record never changes, you get an email saying, doesn't look like your registration was processed. So it's a, it's a simple, effective, inexpensive way to just... We always tell people, please check your voter registrations, yeah. and they never do because they're human beings. Right. So this way a computer just does it in an automated fashion for them, and it's turning out to be quite successful. This is really awesome. Is it something that you have to work with the State Board of Elections so you have some sort of access to their data uh, database, or is this something that could be set up in any state even without the cooperation of the, uh, st- you know, the, 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 the state entity running the, the, the main database? Well, here's the deal. For all the grief that we give North Carolina all the time, it must be said that North Carolina has the most transparent and open uh, voter registration and voter history data in the country. By law, they have to put up all the voter registration files and all the voter history files. So uh, I know what elections you voted in. I don't know who you voted for, but I know Mm -hmm. what elections you voted in from the history file. And I can see your voter registration record. I can download it. We download all 7 million of those every week to do the, the comparisons for, mm-hmm. our, for our registered users. Now, there's no other state in the union that has quite that forthcoming a policy about their voter registration data. With some other states, I think there might be one or two other states you can download the information, but the information is not always current. It might be a couple of months old. In other states, uh, you can send in 500 bucks and they'll send you an electronic copy of the voter file. Mm-hmm. 
In other states, they charge you as much as twenty-five or $30,000 to get your hands on the voter registration oh data. And in still other states, it's illegal to possess the voter registration data unless you are a political party or a candidate running in an election. So it would be extremely difficult to implement this countrywide, but because of North Carolina's great policies about data, data openness, uh, it was easy in North Carolina. Well, I'm I'm glad we get to close with uh, something nice to say about North Carolina Me after too. I've been uh, yeah. beating it up all week long. Uh, this uh, program, however, I think on a state-by-state basis is really crucial. It would be really useful if I learned that, oh, my registration has changed for some reason and I had nothing to do with it. I'm going to point folks uh, towards... Your website, ncgovote.org, to get more information on RegWatch, to help uh, work with uh, Bill to bring it to a state near you. Bill Busa is a North Carolina-focused campaign consultant. He's also founder of EQV Analytics, eqvanalytics.com. He's a fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science and a 20-year veteran technology consultant who served last year as digital director for Anita Earle's successful 2018 campaign for the North Carolina Supreme Court. So he knows stuff. Check out his work uh, at those places, and, of course, follow his excellent work at dailycoast.com, where he writes under the name Doc Dog. Bill Busa, really great to have you here uh, with us today. Hope you will come back soon, my friend. Great talking to you, Brad. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Okay, I'm late. Got to get out. My <laughs> thanks to, don't laugh yes. at me, my I thanks know. to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is free. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves, bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. Find us, follow us, share our work worldwide. Thank you very much in advance. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.